When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily post-Boxing Day special. And I'm calling this the post-Boxing Day special because, let's face it, we are firmly into absolutely no idea what day of the week it is territory. And that's fantastic, which normally means that most of us at some stage now are in a kind of quality street, mince pie-induced coma. But it also means that we are right in the middle of a non-stop run of Premier League action. Ten games across the 26th and the 27th, and we're going to be covering them all on tonight's show. Part one, for me, an absolutely brilliant Christmas present as Arsenal pulled off a shock 3-1 win over Chelsea. In part two, it's Manchester United as they drew two all at Leicester. And then in the final part, it's another defeat for Chris Wilder and Sheffield United as Everton won 1-0 at Bramall Lane. Right then, a huge, huge amount to get through on the show. My name's Fergal Brennan, and I'm going to be putting down the mince pies for a little bit to record the show. And joining me on what I'm calling the Quality Street Hiatus, or the Lint Hiatus, whatever whatever your flavour is, we have Rob Blanchett from the Manchester United podcast, The Masterclass. Rob, how are you doing? I'm good, Fergal. How are you, mate? I'm all right. I'm all right. What's been your chocolate of choice over Christmas? Do you know I see what? you as a Frere Rocher kind of guy. Do you know what? I am a Ferrero Rocher guy. You've got that bang on spot. 100%. That's me. <laughs> However, it has been Quality Street this year just because of the kind of generic chocolates that you do get this time of year. I think it's also a Manchester United trademark. You have to be a Man United fan and, uh, and eat Quality Street. I think it comes with the territory. Uh, we also have the Manchester City's athletic correspondent, Sam Lee. Sam, smooth character, Galaxy. Mm. Oh yeah, Galaxy is good, grown on me over the years. I haven't actually eaten that much chocolate the last couple of days. It's just been like full-on savoury stuff, everything left over from dinner, cheese all over the place, crackers, pigs in blankets, barely touch the chocolates, but you know, I got a lot for presents, so that'll be my building up to the new year phase don't worry about that <laughs> for those of you who are building a profile on our on our guest Rob is a sweet character Sam most definitely a savoury kind of guy uh, Arsenal Chelsea um, in the notes for this when we've been chatting about this and discussing the show all I could put was what the hell happened here and I still haven't managed to figure it out in the last 24 hours I was amazed watching this I've been a real doom monger for Arsenal in the last couple of weeks Rob and the way things have been going the results the performances the negativity around the club to go sorry at home against Chelsea to win 3-1 with a fairly young team I am absolutely shocked so to ask that question once again Rob what the hell happened here well I think this result epitomizes the whole season in terms of results and how teams are actually winning and losing games now Arsenal have lost just a casual eight this season and obviously people are down on them but I still think that Arteta's got the the bones of a decent squad there now he made the changes he went after Chelsea they got the goals they got the result but I think it also shows where Chelsea are at this time in terms of their transition into a, a new team after their signings of last summer so not 100% surprised by it but this is the kind of Christmas magic that sometimes happens every year. Sam, we're going to talk about Chelsea in a minute and, and the issues and, and some of Lampard's comments after the game, but Arsenal and Arteta, they've been obviously source of a lot of criticism in the last few weeks. And one of the big calls from Arsenal fans, particularly online, has been give some of these young players a chance. We've seen what they can do in the Europa League. We've seen what they can do in, in bits and pieces off the bench. And he reacted to that yesterday. Emile Smith-Rowe started. Gabriel Martinelli came, came back into the team. And Bukayo Saka, he's a first team. We've all seen what he's capable of in the last 12 months or so. But 
with the pressure off and with these youngsters giving the opportunity to go and stake a bit of a claim for a first team position, everything kind of came together quite beautifully for Arteta. Yeah, um, it come together was probably the, the word to go back to your, yeah, the intro. What the hell happened? I'm, I'm not sure anybody can can work out like what happened or, or more to the point why. I mean, the big the big problem was was Chelsea really and kind of how poor they were. I don't mean to like do down Arsenal's performance. You said there the pressure was off. I'm not sure it was. Um, that you know, if they'd have lost that, that might have been the end of Arteta. Unless there was some particular resolve in the in the boardroom to to stick by him, it would have you know there would have been a compelling argument to to make a change had Chelsea won that. Now all of a sudden the the pressure's on Lampard, um, especially after his comments afterwards. You know, he he kind of laid the blame at. At the feet of the players, rather than himself. Um, but what, how, how did it? How did it come about that they played so badly? I, I didn't see the teams go up, you know, an hour before kickoff. The first time I saw the teams was on Sky when they put them on the on the graphics. And I just thought, God, that Chelsea team is just much better than the Arsenal team. Like much better, like player player by player, um, area of the pitch by area of the pitch. I thought, oh, surely Chelsea are going to, you know, wipe the floor with this one. But it just it didn't happen. The the pressing was awful. There was no intensity. Fine, you can stand off, but if you're going to stand off, you've got to block the passing lanes and stop teams playing through you. But they didn't do that. Obviously, Werner got taken off at half time, and you know, obviously, the calls from the Arsenal fans were to bring in some of the young players. I think that's because you know there's been a bit of unrest around the team. You know, are, are people worrying about Aubameyang's best position? Obviously, the Özil situation is just ongoing. Um, but all of a sudden now, it looks like Chelsea are in that kind of situation as well, where Werner wasn't happy and Havertz is slow to settle in. Um, the pe- people are going to be talking now about whether the dressing room are happy with Lampard's assessment of the game. And I mean, this is a crazy season and I can be back on this show in three weeks and Chelsea will have won all of their next games. But it looks like it's Chelsea with the problems now after their last, you know, lost three of the last four games. And I don't know, maybe things, I don't know what it could have been for things to come to a head and then for them to play so badly against a, a wounded team and, a, and an inexperienced team as well. It's crazy. I, as an Arsenal fan, obviously hope that Arteta was writing it down. I don't know what happened. You guys don't know what happened. I just hope Arteta hasn't forgotten whatever it was he did or whatever it was he said. Just please, please keep doing it. Rob, one of the big things here is is players that are potentially playing for their futures at the club. And Granit Xhaka has had a very damaged relationship with the Arsenal fan base in the last few months. And the red card that's kept him out for the last few weeks, in a way, a possibly looked like to be the final nail in the, in the coffin for him at uh, the Emirates Stadium but he played yesterday he was excellent alongside uh, Mohamed Al-Neni very disciplined in midfield and then he comes out with an unreal free kick just smashes it in the top corner past one of the best keepers in the league if we don't know what Ateta's doing and we don't know what the plan was yesterday what's Granit Xhaka doing none of this made any sense it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, I think we know with Xhaka that he has got that ability to produce a moment of magic. You know, we saw that before he actually arrived at Arsenal. But as you said, he does have this fractured relationship with the football club and with the fans. So that was a good sign yesterday. And, you know, he helped his club obviously get those three points. Is he the long-term answer in that position? I don't really think so. I think if Arsenal want to build and, and have a stronger midfield and actually be more complete from back to front, he might be one of the players that are sacrificed. But as a one-off, he went and did the job yesterday. Everyone's very pleased and said he should be. Um, one player that you've touched on before, Sam, that wasn't playing, wasn't in the starting lineup, and didn't come off the bench was Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. He's had issues with injuries in the last month or so and, and there's been potential again for controversy over whether he's going to stay or what the future holds, even though he has signed that new contract. He didn't get on yesterday, even though he was fit enough to travel and fit enough to be included. And inevitably that's going to get a little bit of rumours about what's going to happen with him. Do you get the sense, get the vibe that maybe there is something else going on or is this just a straightforward, he wasn't fit enough, there's a lot of games on, um, if we needed him, we could have brought him on? Um, I mean, there's been a few articles recently, hasn't there, about how you know certain players aren't, aren't talking to Arteta and the, you know, the kind of articles you get when things start crumbling. Uh, uh, firstly, for what I know, I wasn't aware of anything involving Aubameyang, but you know, Arteta is obviously this kind of coach. We've seen that in just his, you know, his year as a first team coach. He is kind of very principled and he, he will make those big decisions again. Obviously, we've seen that with Ozil. Um, and if there is any 
if if there is any problem there, you know, he, he won't hesitate to to keep him out. So I, I guess it's one that we'll have to keep an eye on over the next couple of games. Fortunately, there's so many games now. We'll, we'll have like three hours worth, five hours worth of examples by the end of the week. So it's probably one to keep an eye on. If he doesn't start the next game, then you start thinking, yeah, something's not right here. Because what I will say is Arteta has definitely got, you know, potential for that. Um, Frank Lampard, Rob, was quite clear in his post-match press conference where he said he just wasn't good enough and, and that the players needed to look at themselves after a performance like that. And Mason Mount came out after the game and did an interview with the club's television channels and he kind of lifted the lid, as it were, about what was said in the dressing room. And Lampard pretty much said the same, that it was a dreadful performance, one of the worst since he's been in charge, reminded them of what it means to play for Chelsea Football Club. But... He got a bit of a strange reaction from this because if this was just a bit of shield rattling and looking to get his players motivated, then I think most fans, Chelsea or otherwise, would be on board with that. But there did seem to be a little bit of possibly passing the buck from Lampard. And I know, obviously, you're a Man United fan. You're going to look at this maybe from that viewpoint. But there did seem to be that attitude from Lampard, particularly in his interview. Yeah, I think also with Frank is that he just doesn't, he's just not very good at hiding it. So when he's in front of a camera, if it's gone wrong, it's all written all over his face. It comes out of his mouth and we hear everything that he's feeling and it's, he's hurting and that all comes across in his communication. I think when you look at Chelsea, it's, it's how I said it at the start of the season on this podcast. And I said, you know, they're a young team, they're a new unit with a young manager. Things are going to go wrong. People have to expect that. Now, I still expect Chelsea to be challenges for the top four still only 15 games into the season and there's no doubt that they've got tons of talent and that when it when it works it's great but there's gonna be days where it doesn't work so I think Chelsea fans have to kind of accept that and just feel their way around this season you know Chelsea if they get in the top four that will be success for them if they win a trophy on top of that that'll be fantastic but I think overall we're just going to see repetitions of these performances because Havertz and Werner are not ready to carry this football club to a championship title um, obviously Lampard's frustration was clear to see at the end Sam and when he's talking about plays he's obviously going to be very careful and not name names particularly in a in a press conference or an interview with, with journalists but defensively this is the first time they've conceded three goals since Thiago Silva's famous debut against West Brom since then it's been a pretty much a solid back five with him and Zuma and Chilwell and Reese James and then Edouard Mendy who's come in and made a big difference to them so I don't really think there'll be much of a call for him to tear up the game plan in that sense but inevitably as, as Rob just mentioned another game and we're talking about Timo Werner once again yeah well you mentioned him not wanting to name names but he was he was fairly open about Werner not doing what he needed to do and he was like well you know obviously it's not easy to adapt to the league but we need him to adapt quickly basically um, but that's the thing really nobody's really talking about tearing up the game plan you know some other you know some other clubs when things are, aren't going right that's you know that's what's going on at the moment other fan bases say we need to change this we need to change that you know I cover City you know that's par for the course happens all the time um, but the thing the thing with what Lampard was saying about the basics not being right is it does come back to him because if that's the case why why not uh, were they not mo- motivated to do it was it if it was just a one off fair enough but obviously results haven't been good recently um, and yeah that that's the issue like I said at the start it, it's a very good team on paper and not just on paper it is a very good team they're full of quality they've got a good bench as well obviously Ziyech is out injured but you know he's only just come in so they can't pin all their hopes on him and you kind of use that as an excuse um, but it will just come back to there's not a lot to, to tear up the pieces are there that the man in charge has got to get more out of them and you know this will be a, a big challenge for him I'm not going to say it's his first big challenge because to be fair to him he's he's had a lot in his in his experience, managerial experience so far, but it's definitely going to be a big one because he will have been part of Chelsea dressing rooms in the past that you know have have kind of let themselves unravel and got the manager out. So that will be very interesting to see how he, well, if he can manage to avoid that. Rob, just quickly before we take a break, I want to flick back to Arsenal and the games that they've got to come. Brighton away, West Brom away, Crystal Palace at home, Newcastle at home, Southampton away before facing your team, Manchester United, at the end of January. On paper, to, to steal Sam's Sam's turn of phrase, that looks like a, a winnable run of games or certainly a set of games you'd expect them to get points from. But it is going to be very difficult because despite this result, there's there's still issues with confidence with it within the players. Realistically, heading into the new year, where can Arsenal see themselves probably ahead of that United game at the end of January? 
well, it's a good run of games to come and they'll be pleased about that looking at the calendar. But as we know with this Arsenal team, we just don't know what we're going to get from them one week to the next. So they're currently 15th, 17 points. They could go on a great run and win four or five of those games or even go into the United game full of confidence, beat United and then suddenly be looking at a top six position. So it's a funny season. I just think with Arsenal, you know, you've got to have the faith in Arteta. I know that he's on the brink in terms of results and, you know, losing eight Premier League games at this stage of the season is not acceptable for any football club of Arsenal's status. But I think he's the right man for the job. It doesn't make any sense for Arsenal to kind of rip up his blueprint as it stands. But as you said before, it might be a case that this is still not the right squad, that there might be one or two players who have to leave, whether that be an Ozil, might even possibly be an Aubameyang, and just feel your way around this project for maybe two or even three years to get Arsenal back to where they want to be. Well, there we go. Rob got himself a crystal ball uh, for Christmas. He's had a look inside it for Arsenal fans and it says, ask again later. We're going to take a quick break. After the break, Rob is going to be discussing Manchester United's draw at Leicester City as they were denied three points by a late, late goal from Jamie Vardy slash own goal. We're going to be talking about that and all the action at the King Power in just a few minutes. Catch you then. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Boxing Day Plus Plus Special. We're covering all the games over the 26th and 27th on today's show. My name's Fergal Brennan. Joining me, we have Rob Blanchett and Sam Lee. Before the break, it was an all-London affair as Arsenal somehow managed to beat Chelsea. Now we're going to be looking at Manchester United, who drew two all away at Leicester. Rob, naturally, as a Manchester United fan and podcaster, we're going to go to you first on this. Strange game. We previewed it on the Christmas Eve show and said that this was the eye-catcher and we expected lots of excitement and we we kind of got that. We got four goals, a bit of end-to-end football, a little bit cagey in patches. But generally speaking, this lived up to its billing as a clash between two sides you'd expect to be chasing Champions League spots. Yeah, it was the perfect game for the neutral. And I think the Premier League would have loved having this game on and uh, beaming it around the world and showing everyone what the English product is all about. But as far as the game went, you know, I think United had stages in it where they dominated. I think Leicester were the better team in the first half uh, and deserved their advantage. But I think with 11 minutes to go, Manchester United still need to learn how to close out games. They were in a really good position. You know, in the 79th minute, obviously, the Bruno Fernandes goal was a, a great finish. But United, it's, it's, a, it's a historical issue. It goes back two, three, four years where they find it really difficult to be the team in front. They're great at chasing games. They're just not so good at getting over the finish line when they're in front. Sam, that was something that we touched on in the preview show that neither Leicester nor Man United really like to be the team in ascendancy. They don't like to be the dominant team in possession. So there was going to be this danger of it being a bit of a a hot potato thrown between the two managers and the two sets of players. You look at the numbers at the end of the game and you say that Oli probably went for it a bit more than Brendan Rodgers. United had more chances, created more chances, edged the possession, edged the final third possession as well. So can Solskjaer be pleased that he kind of just about edge the the tactical battle. Uh, what a difficult question. Um, I think so. I mean, it was a strange one with United because there were so many clear cut chances, and there was like there were the frustrating misses as well, like the two Rashford ones in particular. Um, but then it wasn't like they were. It wasn't like United were ever in a position to have gone two or three nil up and then it come and bit them on the ass. When they missed a chance, they went and scored one anyway, and then Leicester got theirs. So. That was a bit of a weird element to the game. I suppose, yeah, Solskjaer can be happy because they were they were good value for it and they probably deserved to win. Um, I mean, ultimately, because look, normally teams in this stage of the season and, and that kind of position, because obviously United now are kind of, we're talking about a title push. So you're going to be disappointed with a, a two-all draw. I, I do think a title push is actually beyond them though. And I think to be able to show that that they can shade games like this. It's not just about counter-attacking and uh, and just hoping for the best, as you know, has been the accusation for a long time. I think there can be some kind of pleasure derived from that game. But yeah, obviously frustrating to to go and do the hard part of getting what looked like it might have been a late winner, and then and then concede. Yeah, Solskjaer can be pleased to a, 
to a point and he looked very happy at the final whistle um but um yeah i think the next level for united is to to see these games out and but obviously a lot came through fernandez didn't it like if so i saw somebody say if fernandez wasn't playing for united then they'd have big problems and i think that's hard to argue with at the moment Rob, obviously that is clear. Fernandez's role, he got the goal with, with 10 minutes left and you'd be forgiven for looking at it and thinking United have shaded this, they probably should go on and win. And Jamie Vardy's made a career out of scoring against the big six and, and kind of upsetting the script and being the, the villain if he's playing against your team. But do you think United maybe were a little bit overly keen? This is actually something that Fernandez has touched on himself in, in interviews and, and conversations with, with the media where he said they need to be a bit cuter in the closing stages of games and, and lockout games to make sure that draws become wins. Obviously, you're disappointed to concede a late goal, but do you think that was United's own doing or just a, you know, a bit of classic Vardy magic? It's a little bit of both in the sense that philosophically Manchester United want to play attacking football. The fans want to see them play attacking football. So that means going after results, going after victories in a way that maybe we didn't see under Mourinho and we certainly didn't see under Louis van Gaal. So that's the, the starting point. However, when you're winning a game like this and there's 11 minutes to go, you as a football team have to find a way to defend, to keep the ball, to keep possession and see out the game. And as I said on uh, a few other... Uh, podcast the other day Manchester United need to learn how to become boring in those moments you need to be able to shut games down United still can't do that you know and I think that that is still a worry and that's also why I agree that I don't think United will be involved in the title picture in the second half of the season however if it keeps them somewhere in the top four and closer to Liverpool than not you know they're currently you know four or five points behind Liverpool with a game in hand that's a really really good position to be in so Overall, not too bad. Happy with a point. But there's still things, obviously, to work on at Manchester United. Uh, before we flick on to Leicester, I've got to ask you about Fernandes. He's getting himself a little bit of a reputation in the last week. He made a lot of Everton fans very unhappy in the League Cup game with the little nudge into Richarlison, who's then gone off injured after colliding with two other United players. There was a bit of a moment in the Leicester game where he went in late on Johnny Evans and that got picked up and the referee didn't punish him, but the Twitter, um, the Twitter rowers were, were right in on this. Is he getting a reputation for this? Is it justified? Or do you look at this and go, you know, your top team needs someone like that that will put their foot in, a little bit of dark arts. United have never been short of a player like that in the past. Someone like Paul Scholes used to tackle at neck height or Roy Keane who would definitely not be frightened to put his foot in. Is it a necessity? Do you think it's maybe being a bit overblown? Well, my two all-time heroes are Brian Robson and Eric Cantona. And I watched Eric Cantona jump into a stand at Crystal Palace. So, you know, in terms of reputations <laughs> and what and what players can do... I Until think Bruno, Bruno does that, he's not... I, I think Bruno's pretty passive. You know, I think he's a winner and there's no doubt that if he's going to go in with a 50-50 view, he might leave something in. But I think most players do do that, certainly at the top level. And uh, United are still in that situation where they're learning to win again, learning to be the football club that they want to be. Bruno Fernandes is certainly the talisman of that team now. And, you know, if he if he goes after a player now and then or you know leaves his foot in if, if it's bad VAR's going to catch him and he's going to get red cards he's not getting red cards as it is uh, I don't think he deserves any kind of reputation that's being put on him no the thing is I don't think it's so much dirty or certainly not in the Leicester game just, just stupid like he could genuinely have been sent off and the first one was he was moaning about a free kick and then tried to I can't remember who it was he tried to stop him taking it by kind of fouling him as he was taking a free kick which you're obviously going to get a yellow for and then it was um, down in the corner Johnny Evans had nowhere to go he was going to clear the ball down the line anyway or go back to Schmeichel um, and it, it just took him out late it was he could have easily been sent off for that it was a bit stupid and like obviously like I said earlier you know I don't want to be doing without Bruno Fernandes for any point in time so that's the only thing I'd be worried about but no I don't think he's going to get a reputation for being a bastard or anything like that he's just very intense isn't he as everybody kind of knows now around United he he kind of lifts the standards what did he say after the game he was he was glad that he went into the dressing room and he saw that everybody was disappointed to only get a point you know that's the type of character he is and it's not just his performances on the pitch that's kind of galvanised United but that you know kind of setting the standards off it but yeah like I say he could have been sent off yesterday it was a bit stupid 
Uh, Sam, Brendan Rodgers spoke a bit more about mentality rather than performance or, or tactics in his own post-match interview and he praised the mentality of his players to come back and get that late goal and get the point and keep them you know, still realistically in the Champions League race and potentially even in the title race. Obviously, when we talk about Leicester in these games and, and when Vardy makes such an impact, I know there's a bit of controversy over whether... Rob, just quickly, did it go down as a Twinsabian goal or was it a Vardy goal? I think it was Twinsabian goal in the end. Oh, was it? Yeah, was I, it? I, I think Vardy would probably argue, argue on that one. But um, Leicester can be relatively happy with this considering their game plan did work in the sense of looking to contain United and hit them on the break. But this wasn't as good as we've seen Leicester play in the last month or so. No, no definitely not. Um and look, it was it was a different city. I think it was only the second game of the season. But when I saw Leicester play at the Etihad at the start of the season, you know they just they just sat back and absolutely picked City apart and won five two. Like I say, it was it was a different city then. They they weren't particularly good and they were very open. Um, but like I, like I did say earlier, United created an awful lot of chances and it, like Rashford could have scored that header within what a minute, two minutes. Um, so I, yeah, I'd, it's a difficult one. I'm not sure if they can be happy with with the game plan and how it went. Like both teams kind of had, had spells in the game. Like just as Harvey Barnes scored, I remember thinking, well, Leicester could still win this. And then literally he smacked it in from the edge of the box. But then United had their spells. And when Cavani came on, I thought, well, he just make things happen. So let's see how it goes. Yeah, just a, a topsy-turvy game. I, I mean, if we're going to read so much into it, into the 90 minutes, I'd probably say it shows why I'm not really considering either of them as, you know, candidates from the title it wasn't great management game management for, from either of them but I suppose that goes back to what both of you were saying great game for the neutrals to watch and as Rob says you know you know, need to learn to be a bit boring in those circumstances and it's probably something that Leicester could have done as well but the fact that neither side were probably means they won't win the league but it does mean that their games are quite enjoyable particularly when they play each other uh, just quickly, we touched on Arsenal and Chelsea and their run, Rob, between now and the end of the year and moving into January. United have got two home games to come, Wolves at home and then Villa at home on New Year's Day. Leicester have got two away games, Crystal Palace, and then they go to St. James's Park to take on Newcastle. Given that both of them have obviously got loftier objectives than Arsenal at the moment, who do you see heading into the new year in the better position? These are both going to be fighting for a Champions League place, you would expect, come April, May time. Where do you see this going in the early stages of the new year? What, see, what, United or Arsenal? <laughs> I wish. No, United or Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. That Arsenal. was a cheap shot. Uh, it's Christmas and that was a cheap shot. I'm so sorry. That was just, that was a present I had to deliver. Um, oh. I, I think, I, I think the United are in a better position than Leicester. Obviously, Leicester are, are just ahead. Um, this Leicester team has got plenty of talent. I still think that maybe their ceiling is more pronounced than Manchester United's. You know, we saw yesterday in that game, if Marcus Rashford could finish in those two moments, then this becomes a really simple day for Manchester United that they win the game, they take the points, and then they, they end today just, you know, a couple of points behind Liverpool and looking at a different part of the table. Uh, I think that Leicester, right have aspirations for being in the top four and Brendan Rodgers is a, is a good enough coach to get them there but they still when you look at them position for position they are really a kind of a top eight team who are overperforming for me so they've done really well but you can see you know that with that victory at Manchester City that we were just talking about there you know is that something you're going to see every week from Leicester no because just of the situation of the Premier League and how teams are at the moment but both teams I think will be in a conversation come right the end of the season Season. Yeah, and uh, fantasy football fans, if you triple captain Vardy or you double captain Vardy, unlucky, we have just checked, it did go down as a Twenzebi own goal. So apologies if you've lost points on Vardy. After the break, we're going to be talking about Sheffield United and Chris Wilder, who had a very bad Christmas. He found a big toffee-shaped lump of coal in his stocking as Everton won 1-0 at Bramall Lane. We're going to be picking the bones out of that one in just a minute. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Boxing Day slash December 27th review show. We're going to be covering all the games before the end of this podcast. We've already talked about Arsenal and Chelsea and as well Leicester City's two-all draw with Manchester United. We're going to drop all the way down to the bottom of the table now. Rob, Sheffield, United. 
Chris Wilder. Another weekend, another game. I'm laughing. I don't mean to laugh because I do like Chris Wilder. Anyone that listens to this podcast knows that I like Chris Wilder. But 15 games, zero wins, two points. Come on. You have got to have a heart of stone at Christmas to not have wanted Chris Wilder to win. Well, as I said at the start of the season again with my crystal ball, I I tipped Sheffield United on this show to go down. I still believe that very much so with two points from 15 games. I just think with Wilder, he's just got found out. You know, tactically, his team were great last year. They were a breath of fresh air, as you said, with their overlapping centre-backs and some of the more funky play that they were doing tactically. But this year, I think everyone has kind of seen what Sheffield United are and they've found ways to negate what they're good at. You know, when you look at the stats, they're damning 15 games, two draws, 13 losses, eight goals only, 26 against. They're going down. Chris Wilder, I think the biggest surprise at the moment is how has he still got a job? Um, Sam, when you look at this, and, and obviously inevitably there's going to be talk of records, and you go back to that famous Derby County season where they got the record 2007-2008, and they ended up with 11 points. They did get one win, so they are actually doing better than Sheffield United are doing, and their points total at this stage of the season is better than Sheffield United. All the arrows are pointing down, and it just seems mm. to be getting worse. And as Rob said, the, there is this element of them being found out. And for me, after the game, the body language of the players in the last few weeks has been difficult. That little bit of fight, that little bit of hope slowly seems to be being extinguished. And, and when they conceded, and they conceded late on, you could almost feel that off the players that they thought, oh, again. Yeah, um, it's a, a little bit like what I was saying about Lampard earlier, but only much further down the line. Like, all you know, the debate among the Sheffield United fans now is, you know, should he go or shouldn't he? Um, in terms of being found out as well, you know, he changed Wilder changed the tactics for the game. He went with, you know, more of a, a three man forward line, or you know, one of them dropping off to be a number ten, maybe a bit like they they tried briefly at Brighton, um, trying to mix things up, but just like as an attacking outlet, they they just well they just had nothing basically going forward. You know, that that was the the idea to go three four three, be a, not gung ho, but create a bit more but it just didn't work at all and it's got to that stage like I was saying a bit like Lampard but much further down the line where you do think it's not quite happening for whatever reason you know whether like the body language they seem resigned to it you know the the points it would be a genuine miracle if they save themselves you know the tactical changes don't seem to work uh, again I mentioned earlier on when we talked about Chelsea ripping up their team and all the game plan and starting again Sheffield United fans are saying you know ditch the three at the back go to four at the back all this kind of stuff but whatever they seem to try doesn't really work and yeah the decision now is get rid of Wilder or not and it's I mean, if he did get sacked, it will be one of those where you go, wow, that seems harsh. And I've no idea what, what they'll decide. But if they did, it would obviously be a sign that they, they want to try and salvage this season. Um, I don't know. I, I personally, I think, no matter how you know historically bad this season might turn out for them, it might be worth sticking with him. Um, you know, having a, having a go at the championship next season and try and you know, become a Burnley in the sense that they went down, came back up and established themselves in the Premier League for a few years. That I don't know, that seems to me the smartest play, but it probably means the next six months aren't going to be very fun. Whichever way I think you slice it for Sheffield United, Rob, moving forward and between now and probably the end of January, it's going to decide his future, it's going to decide their future. And they've got a tough run, Sheffield, uh, sorry, Sheffield United, obviously, they are. Uh, going to Burnley, then they've got Crystal Palace, Newcastle. These are all games that in different situations you might earmark for three points, but things do look very, very grim for Wilder at the minute. Everton, on the other hand, lots of positivity. I know we said we wanted Wilder to get a win, but you'd also be pretty hard push to tear this away from Everton four wins on the run they're in the Champions League spot second behind Liverpool at the moment and they had lots of grit but also a bit of quality in this to, to get the three points yeah it gives me nightmares of 1986 when I was a kid when I'd look at the table and it'd be Liverpool Everton or Everton Liverpool and it's Merseyside once again dominating <laughs> the English leagues uh, at the highest echelon uh, I think Everton have done great this season um, you know for me they were one of my kind of outside tips for the top four this season but when Hammers Rodriguez went cold, it really felt that that might be it, that they might slide down the table very quickly. They've fixed things in the last three or four games, four wins in a row, I think it is now. And when you look at what 
really Ancelotti's achieved in 12 months it's been stunning you know he's put the club back on the map Um, I don't think they'll be there in the top four at the very end just because I still think that they're relatively thin as a squad in terms of quality but if James Rodriguez comes back from his little knock and finds a way to start creating again getting goals and assists this Everton team could still improve from the position that it's in at the moment Sam, one of the other good things that they're showing at the moment is that when those players, as Rob touched on, James Rodriguez, who's been out injured, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who's magnificent at the start of the season, has has dipped a little bit. He hasn't scored in that four-game winning streak. Other players have come in and and filled the void. And one of them is Gilfie Sigurdsson, a a player at the start of the season who was possibly fighting for his future at the club. Andre Gomez has taken his place in that, that deeper role. And then Rodriguez has come in. Richarlison is there already. There's talk of possible move for Isco in January or maybe next summer this is somebody that you look to maybe on his way out but he's shown the quality he's got from set piece situations and late in games where he can make that definitive impact and a lot of credit has to go to him but also Ancelotti for saying here's the challenge you can either take it or maybe move on yeah, well, I mean, he's he's ideal really for a team like Everton that are, you know they're trying to build something special, and you know they they made a lot of astute purchases in the summer. You know they kind of overhauled that three man midfield unit. You know within a matter within a matter of about a month, um, but obviously behind that you're always going to need squad players to come in. And look, Richarlison didn't play against Sheffield United, and obviously neither did James. So. For me, Richarlison's their most influential player and he's, he's the difference. You know, when he's not in the team, they really do seem less dynamic and less threatening. Uh, we may have seen that against Sheffield United again. Um, but Sigurds- people like Sigurdsson, you know, experienced good Premier League players, um, just got a bit of quality about them. That's just perfect for Everton. Somebody who can step in when you haven't got, you know, your more exciting players. Uh, not so much earlier ends of their career because of James, you know, he's been around the block a fair bit himself. But, you know, they're the star men. You need somebody like Sigurdsson because if they didn't, I know this is easy because he literally scored the goal that made it a 1-0 win. But without him, you'd be looking at an even more functional team than what Everton were on on Boxing Day. And, yeah, he's he's ideal for them. And, you know, as they, as they build, if they do build on this, wherever they finish this season and they get more quality players in, the squad will get bigger. But for now, you know, Sigurdsson is going to be ideal. And then you can maybe see Sigurdsson moving on in the summer. I, I'm, I, I can't think what other kind of team he could go to um, in the Premier League, but I'm sure there would be a lot that would have him. Southampton, maybe, somebody like that, you know, just so he could provide a bit of an alternative, even if he's not obviously starting even 20 games a season. I think, yeah, he's, he's ideal. Yeah, if you're not a Manchester United fan, but you are a fan of retro football, I think you will be enjoying seeing a little bit of an 80s look to the Premier League table. Plenty of other games going on over the 26th and 27th. We're going to whiz through them because there's so much action, so many goals that were flying in. Rob, Aston Villa 3, Crystal Palace nil. Another miserable weekend for Crystal Palace. They've conceded 10 in their last two. And despite Villa playing the bulk of this game with 10 men after Tyrone Mings was sent off just before the break, they couldn't really lay a glove on Villa, who are now nice and symmetrical back-to-back 3-0 wins 10 points 10 points from four games they look to be moving in the right direction and despite this solidity that we always attach to Crystal Palace and Roy Hodgson they seem to be heading in the opposite direction yeah and I think it just also shows the difference maybe in firepower I think Villa have kind of got it right now in the the final third of the pitch they know how to score goals whereas last season they didn't I think with Crystal Palace they do have threats obviously up front with players like Zaha and I was going to say Benteke but I don't know how much of a threat he really is Uh, but overall it's a difficult set of uh, an equation to solve at Crystal Palace because they're always going to be in that maybe that conversation for the relegation places and one year they might actually get sucked into it and end up going down but for Villa you know they're in a they're in dreamland aren't they you know the seventh in the table um, last season they obviously just survived by the skin of their teeth but keeping Grealish was a major factor in that in, in the off season he could have obviously left for Manchester United or, or another club and that I think would have taken a huge amount of talent out of their starting 11 and they, I don't think they would have been able to have coped with that 
Uh, Sam, one of the other games uh, over the weekend wasn't really a thriller. Fulham nil, Southampton nil. Scott Parker has said all along that he wants character from his players and he wants performances in the right areas of the pitch. They're really making a fight of staying in the Premier League, even though we're only at the halfway stage. Four draws in a row might not sound like the most inspiring form, but when you're in Fulham's position, getting a point against Southampton, who've been doing so well so far this season, is a big, big result for them. Yeah, I mean, it keeps them in touch. Um, like you, You'd never think that there was only two points difference in the table between Fulham and Brighton. But you know Brighton play really well, but they just seem allergic to winning. It's 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 crazy, unfortunately for them. Fulham, they've they, yeah they've kind of got this tag of shambles because of how the season started. But you're right, you know they're they're, they're turning it around a bit. They have got some good players. Like Angisa seems like a really good player, and Anthony Robinson as Robinson, sorry, at left back, he he seems quite promising. They they've got a lot of players in in on loan. You don't know how that's going to go. You know Loftus Cheek, you know potentially a very good player. Um, point to prove that kind of thing like they're only two points off safety now and it, I think we need to see you know how the rest obviously how the rest of the season pans out but we need to see whether these draws are actually um, contributed to with a couple of wins because if not then we can look back at it and say it wasn't actually too much was it but um, they've got they've got Burnley soon um, but that's probably the, the most winnable game it's probably going to be one of those where Parker has to look at his options and decide kind of what approach he's going to take because he's got Tottenham which you're not expecting them to win Burnley which they need to win Chelsea again Man United again not expecting much and then Brighton and West Brom so it's like they're really going to have to focus their energy to have any kind of idea of where they're going to be by the end of January because they could lose all of those games against you know the top six sides although knowing football they'll probably pick up a point here or there um, but they could be very much looking at you know staying in the league if they if they were to beat Burnley Brighton and West Brom you know that would that would be huge for them but um, at the moment yeah they they haven't got goals have they but they they are they have solidified things a bit but they haven't got goals and that probably will be what will decide where they're playing their football next season. Sam, uh, your guys, Manchester City, 2-0 winners at home to Newcastle. I didn't realise their record against Newcastle was so good. This is their 12th win in a row in the Premier League. According to these numbers, this is their best um, best opponent in the Premier League. They love playing against the Magpies. Unbeaten. 10 games unbeaten in all competitions for, for Guardiola. And we touched on this in, in the podcast before Christmas, saying how, in a way, this is suiting Pep because they're getting results and they're slowly getting performances together to then maybe launch something further down the line in the season. Will he be happy with these results where they're winning, making ground up on their rivals, but they're probably not being mentioned in the way that other teams are in terms of the title race? They're very much a strange team at the moment. Um, after the Manchester derby, which I'm sure was probably the game, the biggest game where most fans who don't watch City every week would have seen them and gone, what's going on here? And then obviously the uh, the West Brom game a few days after that was one all and they weren't very good at all. But um, it's kind of an example, the United game in particular, of what the City team were about now. Guardiola has tightened things up. I mentioned that Leicester game. He th- that would have been the final straw, but he knew it already. He would have just thought, we can't keep playing like this. So he's tightened the team up at the at the expense slightly of creating chances. And he's obviously relied on the forwards to take those chances when they come around. And they haven't always done that. That's been their issue. The, the finishing's been awful, frankly. Um, but against Newcastle, it was probably their best performance in a while. They did control the game, albeit against a very bad team. They created a few more chances. It wasn't a, a difficult City game to watch, as a lot of them have been. They did play quite well. They created a lot. The finishing was still very poor in places. Um, but yeah, if you're talking about title run, I've, you know, obviously I'll talk about City an awful lot. I don't think they're going to win the league this season. But if if we're talking about who's going to finish closest to Liverpool or you know even beat Liverpool to the title, I still do think it, it is going to be City because they are much harder to beat now and you would imagine, you would imagine that they, they something will click or they will find a way to score enough goals. People like Sterling and Jesus, you know, if you've got them in your fantasy football team, to go back to that, you know, you'd be tearing your hair out. If you've got De Bruyne in your fantasy football team, he's not playing quite so well at the moment, but the chances he creates are just being spurned. That's their issue. But their defence is absolutely, it's infallible at the moment. You know, they've conceded two goals in 15 hours in all competitions. Um 
and yeah, very much under the radar how Guardiola's done that. And you know, Ruben Diaz coming in, there's there's been a few catalysts there. Um, it's a different looking City team. They're not gonna, you know, they got Chelsea at, at the weekend. That'll be very interesting. I, I can't imagine they'll they'll try and blitz them. Um, it's it's very much a new look City. They might blitz them, but it'll be very much kind of keep things tight first and take your chances kind of situation rather than just throw everybody forward. Uh, I just wanted to ask you quickly on Aguero. Obviously, he came off the bench in this one and he's had his injury issues so far this season. Guardiola's been treating him with, with kick gloves in terms of bringing him back into the starting eleven. Is this possibly his plan? He expects to win these games, expects them to do well and, and climb the table and then it's better to have Aguero absolutely in optimum position for when City really need him in January? Um Guardiola doesn't think too much ahead. He kind of thinks, you know, every, like the next game needs to be won. And obviously, look, if it's the Carabao Cup or an easier Champions League game, he will make a couple of changes. But, you know, City fans, they'll be expecting kids to be played or, um, you know, certain experiments to be tried. He's not going to do that. He, he won't have been thinking, we're going to beat Newcastle here. I think if Aguero had been fit enough to start, he would have, basically. But after the knee problem like that... Um, Mendy had the same one last year and it's a difficult one to come back from because the bit of cartilage that kind of absorbs all the shock in your knee gets taken out. When that goes, uh, it's really easy for your knee to swell up. So you can be training really well and think you're going to play and then you wake up on the day of the game and your knee swells up. So it's a really difficult injury to recover from and that's why they're being very careful with him because, like I said, Jesus, so wasteful at the moment. Sterling really, really wasteful at the moment, and Aguero is going to be the key guy. If they do win the league this year, they're going to need somebody to start banging in the goals. Maybe one of the other clicks be the, the safest bet is Aguero. So they just they just genuinely need to be careful with him. It's not about oh, he, like oh we'll, we'll beat these guys, we can take that risk. Guardiola doesn't really do that. He'll 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 only use him if he's good and ready. Uh, moving on to Sunday's games now. Leeds won Burnley nil. Rob, it would have been a happy Christmas in your house after Man United slapped Leeds 6-2 just before Christmas. But fair credit to Leeds and to Bielsa and his players. They've bounced back against Burnley, who we always know what we're going to get with Burnley. They're always going to make it difficult. But Bielsa and his players are no pushover. They needed this win. But against the Burnley team that are not great on the road, this is a good result, but probably not too much to run away with given how inconsistent Leeds have been and by that I mean they can batter Newcastle then get battered by Man United and then get this result it's a typical Leeds kind of sequence of results isn't it you know I think this season as we said they're, they're going to be a team again in the conversation for the relegation zone just because of the way that they play we saw against United how they can be so open they can leave so many gaps at the back but today was a, was a kind of game where you thought Burnley are not really going to offer much going forward or maybe not as much as other teams. And that would leave Leeds open to maybe go and win the game. I thought they might win the game by more. You know, 1-0 at the end of the day is as good as 3-0. It's three points. And Leeds want to stay in the division this year. But I think with Bielsa's teams, you see how entertaining that they are. But I must say this, you know, I've never seen a manager so praised for a 6-2 defeat in my life as Bielsa was the day after the Manchester United match where people were saying it's fantastic to see this kind of quality of football uh, they need to be better than that they need to make sure they're not getting spanked every week they need to make sure they're picking up three points yeah, I never thought I'd see the day with um, a photoshopped image of Gary Neville on Twitter with a Leeds United top on. That was that was an interesting one to look at over Christmas. Um, Sam, West Ham 2, Brighton 2, another bizarre game over the last 48 hours. And given the kind of kamikaze defending from both West Ham and Brighton, the both managers and, and both sets of players were probably a bit annoyed that they couldn't take advantage of the fact that the other one couldn't defend. But in the end, given how bad both of them were, particularly at defending set pieces, a point is, is probably probably a fair one in this difficult um again brighton probably the better team but just find a way to not win matches it's very strange they're very well coached and a grand potter is really good but it's just without being able to go into all the data and statistics and just empirical evidence or whatever it's really hard to, to say he's a really good coach and brighton are a really good team because they just don't win matches and like I said they're two points better off than Fulham you know um, West Ham just started really negatively they didn't you know they kind of tried to shut up shop to be fair to Moyes he, he acknowledged afterwards he said in hindsight it was probably a mistake to to not have that many creative players on the pitch he rectified that at half time um, even so I, I do think Brighton were probably better value for the win but the, the 
the defending from the set piece at the end was awful. And, you know, Suchek is, you know, it was really good bit of business for West Ham. He, you know, he was big in helping them stay up last season. Um, you know, can go off the boil a bit as you know, players at clubs like West Ham can do. But from those situations, always dangerous. Um, yeah, Bright- Brighton. But, you know, but between them, the way that... Um, Duncan White defended that was just was awful really it was just so passive you know they've got I mean this is probably why they find ways to throw game, throw wins away you know they've got three points on the road in the bag just mark competently or head it away you know you've got five minutes to go and they didn't manage it I mean that's probably why I don't know how you can coach that I don't know how you can improve that you know they're both good centre backs you know White was you know Leeds really wanted to keep him um, but just kind of unforgivable moments like that can can cost you points, and you know they they might go down. You know, I would say they're too good to go down, but like I say, the, the evidence doesn't really suggest that. So it's it's an interesting one, and and West Ham, it's hard to keep track of who's good this season. You know, one month West Ham are great, one month they're not. But I suppose that's West Ham all over, isn't it? Uh, Rob, final game of the podcast, Liverpool won, West Brom won. If West Ham Brighton didn't really go to script and was a bit topsy-turvy, this one had a strange inevitability about it. Everything that happened, we expected to happen. Liverpool would have all the possession. They'd probably get a goal. Everybody behind the ball for West Brom. And all Big Sam needed was a corner or a free kick or something. Get it into the box and they'd get a goal. And that's exactly what happened. Semi-IJ, 10 minutes to go, corner comes in, bang, goal. That was their only realistic effort on target and they've gone to Anfield and Liverpool have not won at home for the first time in the league since July. Yeah, this felt like the Liverpool we've been expecting to see with post the Van Dijk injury. You know, we expected that maybe we'd see a dip in their performances and of course, in the last few weeks, even though they've not been outstanding I even think with the the seven goals against uh, Crystal Palace that in the game there was in the first half they could have actually conceded and shipped a few um, but today we actually saw that the Liverpool are fallible and in the second half they didn't really bring it and I think West Brom took their opportunity you know Liverpool had 78% possession for the whole game and 17 shots it's a game they should have won but if they do have a little bit of a dip, and this is why we were just talking about Manchester City, City are six points behind Liverpool with a far superior uh, defensive record. I think this is on. I think City are going to win the title. They've been my, for me, they've been my tip from day one. They've found a way to get their defenders going now and keeping the ball out of the net. If Aguero comes back and starts scoring goals and Sterling starts scoring goals, I think Liverpool are in trouble. I think City are coming for this title and I think they could go 15, 16 games on a run, win those matches and find themselves at the top of the table in the running. Well, there you go. You heard it here first. Manchester United fan Rob Blanchett tipping Manchester City to win the Premier League title. I'm going to go away and get that clipped up so we can use that against Rob later in the season if City don't manage it. That's it for tonight's show. Sam, Rob, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Great stuff. I'm going to leave the guys to go back to play with their Lego and open any late Christmas presents that they might have got. But here on the Football Social Daily, the action and the podcast keeps on coming. We will be back tomorrow looking back at Wolves' game against Tottenham and also previewing all the midweek Premier League action because the football does not stop and neither do we here on the Football Social Daily. We'll see you again very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.